Good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to come uh, this morning and bring God's Word to you. Um, we've just read through Hebrews, but hopefully your Bibles are still warm, and we want to flick back again to the Bible. But this time we're going to look at Matthew chapter 8. Um, in the Church Bibles, we're looking at page 972. Matthew chapter 8. We're going to read from verse 5 and to 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Well, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished. And said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Um, I don't know if uh, you might like, uh, be like me. Uh, say you're driving and you pull up to a traffic light and then you look behind you. Actually, one moment. I'm just going to lower this a second. Looks like I'm... There we go. You can, you can see me. Is that better? <laughs> I don't know. It might be worse. But when you pull up to a traffic light and you're fine, but then you look in your rearview mirror, then what do you see? You, you see sort of like a panda car. You know, the police, the police car behind you. And then you start to get a little bit nervous, don't you? You're thinking, hang on, did I um, skip a light or something? And then, actually, when the lights go green, you make sure to get, pull off slowly, not as you normally do. You know, and you feed the wheel through the hands just in case he's going to pull you over and arrest you for not driving as you were taught when you were back when you were 17. Or even if you're walking and you see a policeman and a police constable walks past you, do you change your walk from doing this to something a little bit more purposeful? And I'm, I'm not going to do anything wrong. I'm, you know, I've got something to do. I'm not going to do anything dodgy. Well, that's the way I react. I don't know if you do, anyway. But the presence of the police makes me feel and react a little bit different. You know? But I don't think it's, it's particularly anything about them, and especially now that so like people my height can join the force. It's not something which is imposing from them because they're six-footers nowadays. But it's what they represent, isn't it? They, you know that they have the power, the power to arrest you and to send you to jail. You know, I haven't done anything wrong when I've pulled up to a traffic lights, not, not often. Uh, but I'm still a little bit concerned if the, car, the police car is behind me. But what if all policemen and all police cars were unmarked? So all policemen, sorry, were wearing plain clothes, every single one of them. And all cars were unmarked, and no badges. Well, what would you think then? You wouldn't feel the, 
in the same way. You couldn't re re uh, respond in the same way, could you? Well, you see, today's passage is about someone who sees an authority figure despite the lack of his outward appearance, despite the lack of a uniform or a big badge saying who he is. There's nothing really essentially to set him apart from the crowd. Now, you couldn't identify a policeman if he wasn't wearing his uniform from sight. And yet, we may appeal to the police when a handbag is pinched or something like that. But who do you know that you could go to? If somebody pinched a handbag and everybody, all the policemen were in plain clothes, who would you go to? Who's able to deal effectively with stuff outside of our control? You see, things beyond our control, we appeal to those who are in authority, such as the police. But there are things in the news which are beyond our control. We know, we see it um, every day. We see the situation in Japan. We see that huge earthquake and the tsunami that followed and the devastation which is continuing to happen as we speak. But what about a little closer to home? Like the centurion we've just read about. You know, death and illness affects us all. But you see, no one ultimately has a proper handle on it, have they? Not even our doctors. And this can be scary, can't it? When things are not under our control, where we can't do anything about. And sometimes we may feel that we're in, at the mercy of a rather chaotic world. Who do you go to then to sort those problems out? Is there anyone to go to? Well, just as a way of a bit of background from this passage, we see Jesus, okay, he's just began his ministry, he's, he's well, he's, he's just into the first throes of it, you see. We've had John the Baptist doing the startup gig, and now we've got Jesus taking the main event, and he's attracting lots and lots of people. His, his ministry so far is effectively considered of two parts, okay? We had him teaching and proclaiming, and we have Jesus healing people. And as a combination together, they were very, very attractive. He was healing sick and proclaiming good news. And so people from a far, far field, say 80 miles away, were coming. And they didn't have cars in those days, so it was like a week's journey to get to see this guy. He was really causing a stir. Well, our passage, um, chapter 8, comes after three f chapters focused on Jesus' teaching on a hillside just northwest of where he is now. You know, this Sermon on the Mount was electric. You know, had people engaged, people were listening. And in fact, people recognized in Jesus there was something different. There's something different to this man as opposed to all the other people and teachers of the law and the Bible. It was like Jesus was teaching straight from the horse's mouth. They weren't listening to something which had been learnt, to something from the source. So the end of Matthew chapter 7 says this, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not teachers of the law. Well, today's title for this sermon is Just Say the Word. And this appears in our passage that we're looking at. The centurion said, just say the word. And these four simple words reveal a lot 
about what's going on in this passage and about the two main characters in view. Now, because behind them, just say the word, we seal, we seal, we see an expectation of the centurion in somebody who could do something. It implies that there's a wholehearted trust in someone who can do something. And it hints that this someone is in a position of authority and power to actually do something about it. Someone whose very words could actually make things happen. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to try and unpack these four words of the centurions a bit more. And then we'll see afterwards what um, this difference these words make. Um, I remember chatting a few weeks back in home group about this, but have you phoned somebody, uh, phoned a company or something, which you've needed to sort of raise a complaint or get some reimbursement for whatever reason, so you dial up the support number and you get the, uh, the plethora of options, you know, press one for this, two for that, and then you go on to another one, you know, three, four, five, and you're there for ages, and then you get an automated response. Or press zero to speak to someone. And so you're th- thinking, well, I'm, you know, I'll wait to the end and I'll get to the zero so I can speak to someone. And then when you get to speak to someone and you tell them their complaint, they'll pass you on to somebody else. And then you have to say your complaint again, and then, they'll say, and then you're looking for a little bit of a response from them. And all they can do is read from the script, which is front of them. And you build up that frustration, and you're saying, no, I, I want somebody to send me back my money because I haven't received something or other. And then they'll say, well, I'm afraid I don't have the authority to do that. I'm not in a position to. And so then you say, after probably about an hour, well, can I speak to your manager, please? And they say, well, <coughs> okay. And then another half an hour goes by, and you actually get to speak to the manager. And then they might even say, well, sorry, I don't have the authority to do that. And so the, and so the ball keeps going on from uh, position to position until you can actually get to speak to someone who can actually do something about what you phoned up in the original, uh, in the first place. Well, it's a waste of time, isn't it, to asking someone who simply hasn't got the authorization to do anything about it. And 99% of the time means that you have to go to someone of a higher authority. Well, it's not surprising then, after hearing about the ministry of Jesus, that our centurion friend, someone who is gravely concerned for his servant goes to Jesus for help. Verse 5, chapter 8. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. Well, Jesus' response, I will go and heal him might be better translated as a question. <clears throat> it might be read, shall I go and heal him? You see, Jesus decides to get personal and ask this question to tease out where this confidence in Jesus has come from. Why is this centurion asking Jesus for this? Well, let's firstly look at who's actually asking the question. This is a commander of a garrison in, within the Roman Empire at Capernaum. You know, someone of rank, someone of authority. And he's asking someone who's more than likely dusty, of no sort of like magnificent outward appearance. Jesus didn't even have an official position within the church. He was someone from a small backwater place called Nazareth. 
Yet the centurion says that he is not worthy. He is not worthy for Jesus to step foot in his own home. No, seriously, who or what man does this centurion seriously think Jesus is? Now, what man do you think Jesus is? Centurion thought he was someone more than him. Well, he might have thought that Jesus was one who taught as one who had authority, as we read back in chapter 7. You know, like the crowds. But would this explain why he felt unworthy for Jesus to come to his own home? You know, there's many people who, who claim to be an authority on something or other. You know, we, we say when somebody is an authority, it means that they know a lot about something, about a subject, and it's, and it's right and proper then probably to consult them on that subject. I expect there's, a, there's many cons, uh, people who are an authority on nuclear uh, uh, physics who have been employed some t- uh, a lot in Japan at the moment, asking, what shall we do? However, it's only consultation. It's only going them to find out what they think. We don't for one minute think that they can actually control the nuclear reactions which are going on. Not some sort of superhero who doesn't get affected by radiation. And because of this, these authorities on subjects cannot give any comfort to those people living near, near that Fukushima plant, can they? And neither could Jesus give hope to the centurion if he was just a teacher. Because the centurion was looking for action, not explanation. He was looking for healing, not prayers. You see, we simply can't leave the biography of Jesus' life under the great teacher's category on our bookshelves. Just pause and consider what the centurion was asking. How crazy does it sound? Commanding sickness. Just say the word and he'll be healed. How does that happen? How does that work out? How do you do that? How do you command a body, be healed? You don't, do you? You know, it is crazy if you're talking about a normal man. You don't phone up NHS direct, do you? Asking to speak to the nurse. And then they say, okay, I've heard your symptoms. I'll send the doctor. And you say, oh, no, 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 don't worry, don't worry. Just, just say the word and, you know, my son will be all right. He'll be fine. That's just... It's ludicrous, isn't it? It's totally absurd. But this is essentially what Jesus was asking the centurion to do. Um, asking what Je- uh, the centurion was asking Jesus to do. Sorry. So is this guy crazy? Has he picked up a bit of the crowd fever and opened his mouth before his rational brain has started to kick in? Is it just a case of wishful thinking? You know, so many would describe that's what faith is, just wishful thinking. Well, it's not the definition that this passage will allow us to come to conclude. Matthew gives us a reason for the centurion's uh, faith. The the rather out there kind of request that um, he was making. He knows, in verse 9, it's a reason based on what he knows and believes about Jesus Christ. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. You know, the centurion was coming from a position where he knew what authority meant. Now, authority in the Roman Empire was essentially the emperor's. 
There was nobody else's. But what happened was the emperor would delegate that authority out, his powers out. And so when he gave orders to his foot soldiers, they had to do what he was saying, whether they liked him or respected him or not. It's because when he said to do something, it came from a greater power. And if they were disobeying the centurion, they'll be disobeying the emperor himself. Well, the centurion saw that in the same way, Jesus was able to do what he was doing, speaking like no one else and healing lifelong, incurable and uh, mortal diseases and disabilities. You see, the centurion could only conclude for Jesus to exercise such authority that extended far beyond, beyond man's own ability, doing things that aren't humanly possible, must mean that the authority vested in Jesus, the man, was from a greater authority. Someone whose jurisdiction goes beyond the limits of what is naturally possible. And so just a little later in the, ch- uh, in the chapter, Matthew records the time when Jesus was in a boat in the midst of a storm. It tells of him getting up and simply commanding the wind and the waves to just stop. That's what he had said. He said stop and they did. You know, the response of those then was, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And so as bizarre as it may sound, the centurion's quest was the most obvious thing he could do. He could say, just say the word, because he, knew, he was certain that he was appealing to one who had supreme authority, far beyond his own. It would have been insane, given the opportunity not to respond to Jesus like this, wouldn't it? So having looked at those four words, just say the word. We'll consider the implications. So if you have your Bibles, look at verse 10 with me. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. You see, Jesus described what the centurion has just demonstrated as an example of faith. And this faith is not wishful thinking without reason or any credibility. It meant seeing in Jesus something more than just a man, but as someone who had authority. It wasn't faith, it wasn't blind faith of a desperate man. No, hit and hope faith. He saw and understood something about Jesus and who he really was. And we can all follow the centurion's logic, can't we? It's straightforward enough. First of all, we have, it's just a matter of adding one and one to make two. We have Jesus teaching as one who has authority like no one else has before. Adding to that, we have um, Jesus able to heal lifelong diseases, which no one has been able to do. And then maybe we might want to subtract that he is a man, so this, that adds into the fact. But it equals then, if he's able to do this and he's just a man, well, he must have something greater about him, given to him, that he has authority. Well, the equation's simple, isn't it? Or is it? You know, the equation is simple. Jesus teaching, Jesus healing, take away the man, equals, he must have God's authority. 
but the, giving the right answer is quite hard. Jesus is amazed at the faith of the centurion because up to now, no one else, certainly no one else in Israel had that kind of insight and trust in him. Maybe perhaps for some of us, the answer too is a little bit hard to swallow. And so you may conclude that something of the equation is not quite right. There must be an imbalance. Maybe his, his teaching wasn't authoritative enough. Or maybe his healings weren't really healings at all, but maybe Jesus doing some kind of placebo effect on, on, on the sick, and they're thinking that they're better. But in reality, they weren't. Perhaps some might need to know a bit more about this equation before being happy about the answer. Well, Jesus used Israel's um, response to him to compare with the centurions. Now, the thing about Israel is that they did know more about the equation. They had the Old Testament, the scriptures that spoke time and time again in many, many ways that Jesus was the Christ who is promised by God to come. So let's not kid ourselves by thinking knowing more will make the answer easier to give. For some here, you may already know enough to come up with this answer. And personally speaking, it took me four and a half years to come up with the same conclusion as the centurion. And it wasn't like I didn't know for four and a half years. I probably knew after two weeks. But I just didn't want to recognize the answer. Because it meant that confessing that Jesus Christ was a greater authority than myself mean that he had demands on my life. And once you do that, you open yourself to the, the repercussion because if Jesus is uh, over your life, then you have to make the decision whether or not to obey him and follow him. So for some, it might be the first time they've actually even heard this equation. Or consider these kind of things about Jesus and the conclusion that the centurion came to. Well, if that is you, I appeal to you, consider, inquire about him. You know, consider what this passage is saying about Jesus Christ. You know, faith doesn't mean you have to abandon reason. Okay. It means seeing in Jesus something more. Seeing Jesus as God, having supreme authority over everything including yourself. Able to command and control everything in this life, even in those things that threaten and scare us because they're outside the control of our human ability, like sickness, natural disasters, and even death itself. What kind of man is Jesus? You see, our response to this question is critical. To admit the answer is crucial. Jesus goes on to show you what the difference that this kind of faith the centurion had makes. Because it st astonished Jesus. But Jesus didn't leave it at that. You know, this little episode was, of the centurion wasn't just to highlight the fact that, hang on, this is faith. Let's go and trust him. No, Jesus took this and taught from it. But this is what he taught was different see, the fact that the main point that Jesus teaches from it is what it takes to being saved from going to hell. Now, heaven's not an exclusive club, only reserved for members who check the right boxes. 
Now, these verses state that reclining at the feast will be many, but not necessarily the people you might have expected. You know, the surprise was, for them there, was that many people from the east and the west will be coming and reclining. And the sons of the kingdom, those subjects who thought they had, uh, would be getting, into right, uh, getting in by right, that's another way of saying um, those in Israel, well, they were going to be thrown into hell. So what is the difference then? How come are the people from the east and the west going to come to and recline at, uh, at God's table? And those who, have the, who thought they had the right were not. Well, these verses teach us it's not who you are or what you do. The centurion certainly didn't do anything for Jesus, did he? Now, the key to being saved from hell and into heaven is simply faith in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he can do. Well, you may not feel that you need Jesus, and I expect the centurion wouldn't have come to Jesus if his servant hadn't been sick. You know, many things in life cause us to be anxious, but lots of things can be resolved with a little bit of money, can't they? We can buy the better doctors, we can, we can buy happiness some way, we can even buy friends. However, there are many things in life that are really, really scary. Illness, natural disasters. Because they're beyond our control, we don't have authority over them. We can't command them. And we certainly have no control over death. Well, verses 11 to 12 introduce something else which you might not have considered before. The idea that there is a heaven and a hell. An inevitable end for all of us. Well... So what can you do? What can you do? Well, instead of calling on somebody who can, we've got to call on Jesus who can. The centurion could command his servant, but he couldn't command his servant to be well, not like Jesus. You see, we need not need to fear the future with Jesus. There is no one higher than Jesus that you can appeal to. In John's Gospel, John 10, it says this, before Jesus was crucified, he said, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and the authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Jesus has authority over everything, even death. So I urge you to consider him and to believe in him. How many plainclothes policemen have you passed by this week? Or how many unmarked uh, police vehicles have pulled up behind you at the traffic lights? How did you react to that? Well, you didn't, did you? You couldn't. You wouldn't have known it was an uh, unmarked car. You wouldn't know it was a policeman passing by if he was just in jeans. And so, like walking by a plainclothes policeman, it's easy to pass Jesus by. But when the policeman puts on the uniform, we know who he is. So too, when we look at the Bible and see what it says about Jesus, we get to see him for who he really is. I don't know what your response will be. Hopefully you'll find Jesus Christ, as the centurion did, the one who is above all, who's able to take 
away your fears, even the fear of death. I know that there are those here this morning who have seen Jesus for who he really is and have ha- at some point have put their faith in him. But maybe, maybe perhaps your faith um, to you seems a little bit, bit mundane, a bit normal, just a matter of fact. Well, then it might be good to remember how precious your faith is. Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith. No one in Israel had demonstrated anything like it. Marvel at your own faith. Ask yourself, why me? What have I done? And remember, there is nothing that you've done, but it's a wonderful gift of grace from God. Do you consider very often that you've been subject to a miracle? Because the Bible describes that you were dead, and now you're alive. Now, I don't know anybody else who can actually do that except Jesus Christ and by his word. So as we remind ourselves of these things, may it make our hearts be extremely thankful towards God who saves us. And let's show our thankfulness through the way that we live, confident in him, in everything, in every part of our lives, in every way, in everything that we face, because we believe that there's no one greater and Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says at the end of Matthew, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he uses this to tell his people to go out, to tell let other people know about him, to do the work, the kind of work that Jesus was doing. He promised for us not to do this on, us, uh, on, our, on our own, but he promises to be with us always. He has all authority so we need not fear. Verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Now you can be assured that if you ask Jesus now to forgive you, to reconcile yourself to God, and to give you a new life that will last, it will be done as you believed it would. And without delay, just as it was for the centurion. Just ask Jesus to say the word. Let's just pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your Bible given to us so that we may see him for who he really is. Lord, Help us understand how we need not fear the future. Help us to have confidence in him who has authority in heaven and over earth, who is able to heal and restore people back to you. Heavenly Father, help us to live lives of thankfulness, to live lives as you've commanded. And so, Lord, we, we thank you once again. Help us understand that you are Lord of all. Amen. If there's anything that um, I've said, please uh, come to me. And if you'd like to know more about this equation, who Jesus and coming up with who Jesus really is, I, I, I ask you to come to me, Mark, or any other like, people that you know of this church. Thank you.